And kids, come up the front. If you want to grab a cushion from the back, you can grab that as well. Because I think you can listen really well. Though I'm not sure you heard the story. Did you guys hear the story that Nick told? Yes. Yes? Who heard it? What was the story about? As you come up, come up. There's lots of room. There's a mat up here too. If you want to bring another mat up, you can bring the mat up. Does anyone tell me what the story was about? I might need to tell this again, I think. The story was about... A banana. A banana, no. We're going to have to tell it again, aren't we? <laughs> All right, let me pray for us, I think. Let's pray together as we come together to learn. And we are all learning together. I'm not just talking to the kids. So let's, let's, let's ask God to be with us. Thank you, Lord. We do need you right now to be with us as we come to your word. Your spirit is with us. Teach us and transform us into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, so we've all, most of us, have been looking at John's book, haven't we? And John's book, now one of the things about when I teach is I'll ask questions and you can answer them, right? And anyone can answer them. Where is John's book in the Bible? Is it in the, it's in the New Testament, all right? Kids, one point for the kids. All right, it's in the New Testament. And what's in the Old Testament? An old banana, probably. <laughs> Stories about the people of Israel and how God blesses them. Yes. And brings other nations to him. And our youngest kids have been looking at the story in Genesis of how God made the world through his powerful word. And the rest of the kids and you downstairs have been looking at John chapter 1 for quite a while. And I think it's been hard work. Because John is trying to explain about this person, Jesus, that he knew and how incredible he is. And it's actually hard to find the words to describe Jesus. And we've learned a verse. And I'm going to get the older kids up. I want you to do your memory verse to set the scene for the story that Nick told. Pop up. Oh, which one? The one from John chapter 1. All right, pop up. Do you remember this? This is the key verse, I think, in John chapter 1. It starts off with the word. Aha, uh -huh. we can do this. Who knows the actions? Leah, you know this. Wow. You're all shy. The word of Belinda. Can you come up and help me? Yeah? Anyone want to join Belinda? You guys learn this. If you learn this first, it will help you with the whole book of John. Cody, pop up. You know it too. Yeah, come on. Shania, do you want to? Alright, Belinda, it's over to you and me. The word became a human being. Wave to the person next to you. And lived lived among us. Can you do that? You're going to have to do it in there. What's next? We have seen what? His jazz hands glory. John chapter 1 verse 14a. Alright. We can all do it together because the actions are simple. The word became a human being and lived among us. We have seen his glory. John chapter 1, verse 14 8. Can you please give Linda a big 
right, so John has spent this whole chapter trying to put into words how amazing Jesus is. This is Jesus is God's powerful word that made all things come to us as a human being, as one of us. Now that's a pretty incredible thing to say about a person. And John is going to have to prove it to us. And so what he does for the rest of the book is tell us a story of how he came to see Jesus in this way. And the story Nick read to us is from John chapter 2. And the good news is that from now on it gets a lot more fun. So if you've been slogging away from chapter 2, we're going to see a lot of great stories. And in the story, I call this Jesus Day Off, the story. Because where is Jesus? He's at a wedding. I was at a wedding yesterday. I was at Mel's wedding, one of our kids' leaders. Mel and Steve got married yesterday. And it's great. You hang out with your friends. Uh, it's a great celebration. You get to eat lots of yummy food. And um, it's a celebration of people coming together. Yeah? It was your mum and dad's wedding anniversary. We might come back to that. How many years? 11 years. That's wonderful, isn't it? Weddings are great times. And Jesus was a person like us, wasn't he? He had friends. And actually, this was possibly a family wedding because who else was at the wedding? Does anyone remember from the story? Mary, Jesus' mum was there. So maybe this was one of Jesus' relatives and they're at a wedding having a great time. But something goes wrong. They don't lose all the wine. They drink all the wine. <laughs> they drink all the wine before the party's finished. Now, I mean, look, maybe they've had enough. But this is actually a very bad sign. And we might go, well, we'll just have to drink. Pepsi, or water, or Coke, I'm not going to, you know, choose one over the other. But no, wine was a really important thing in this culture at weddings. Because wine takes a long time to make, doesn't it? If you can supply wine to a wedding, it means it's a symbol of blessing. Grapes take a while to grow, then you've got to prepare them, then you've got to let them age for a long time, and then you have beautiful wine. Now they run out of wine at the wedding, and so maybe this is going to be a bad sign for this marriage. And so Jesus' mum is rightly worried, and if it's a family wedding, she might be extra worried, and she comes to Jesus and she says, they run out of wine. Now, what Jesus says might surprise you a little bit, and we're going to come back to that. But what does Jesus do? He does something amazing. He fixes the problem. What did he do, do you remember? He turned water into wine. Can you do that? Can you do that? Can you turn water into wine? I can't do it either. Have you tried? I can. Have you? you can. Would you like to show us? No. I have some water here. If you can do it, come and show me. No, because you need wine as well. So you need wine as well. You've got a tricky way of doing it. Jesus didn't do it that way. There were no tricks. In fact, Jesus didn't even touch the containers. Mary said, to, you know, Jesus said to his mum, why are you involving me in this? I'm not supposed to, it's not my job. And she just, she knows he's going to do something. They have an understanding. It sounds very much like a parent young adult conversation to me. She says to the servants, just do whatever he tells you. And he says to them, you see those big jars over there, the ones that we wash ourselves with to make sure that we're clean for the wedding and ready to feast before God and, and celebrate? 
I want you to fill them with water. Now they were big jars, big jars. And they filled them right to the top. And he said, now serve it out. And it was wine. And it was not just any wine, it was delicious wine. Really delicious wine. Because the person who was in charge of the feast went to the bridegroom and said, you've done something really strange. Usually you would give the best wine first, but you've given it to us last. And he was really full of praise for this excellent wine. So are you amazed by that story? I'm amazed by that story too. And it tells us at the end of the story that Jesus' disciples saw this miracle and they believed in Jesus. Okay, well, what is it that they're believing about him? When you see Jesus change water into wine, what is he doing? He's doing something that we can't do. He's doing magic. That's a good answer. He's doing magic. It's not really magic because it's not a trick. Like Adeline was saying, magic is usually just some kind of trick that fools us. But we know that they drank the wine and it was really good wine. He actually took a created substance and transformed it into a different substance. In that moment, God works through Jesus and displays his glory. Do you remember last week when Jesus said to Nathaniel, if you stick with me, you're going to see some little glimpses of heaven. I don't know if that's how you said it down here. But glimpses of God's glory, if you stick with me. This is the first one. They can see that Jesus is God's powerful word and that through him, he can change this water into wine. But do you know what? John is not really that excited about that. That's good. And if you're excited about Jesus changing water into wine, well, good. But he says... The most important things about Jesus turning into wine, world into wine is that it's a sign. What does a sign do? Tells us something. Points to something else. You know, if you're driving in the car on a holiday and you see that yellow sign that's got the black picture, the, the drawing of a koala on it. Do you know that one? Have you seen that one? The koala sign? What do you do when you see the koala sign? Oh, very good. You don't drive over to the side of the road and get out and look at the sign and go, that is the best picture of a koala I have ever seen. You don't do that. It's not even a very good picture, but it's a picture of a koala because the picture tells you, look around because there are real koalas. And koalas are cool. So have a look, and if you're driving on the road, be a bit careful because they might be crossing the road. That's what the koala sign is there for. Well, somehow... What? Like that, out of water sign? Yep. <laughs> out of water. I think we're getting confused. We won't think about that sign. We'll think about the koala sign. And we'll get back in the car in a minute because there's more about driving in the car on a holiday in a minute. Jesus turning water into wine is a sign. And when you look at John's book, you will notice that John never talks about Jesus' miracles. He only talks about Jesus' signs. And this particular miracle or sign is not in any of the other Gospels. John is really interested in what does this miracle tell me about Jesus? Now, what does it tell us? Yes, he can transform water into wine. But let's have a quick look back at the story. When the master of ceremonies, what do they call him? The head of the banquet or something tastes the delicious wine, who does he say thank you to? 
Have a look. The no, he doesn't say thank you to Jesus. He says thank you yeah, to the bridegroom. He goes to the bridegroom and says, you've done something amazing. No one else at the wedding knows that Jesus has done this. They think the person who was supposed to have all the wine or bring the wine to the wedding is the one that they should be praising, and that's the bridegroom. In this culture, the bridegroom is supposed to supply the wine. And if the bridegroom hadn't supplied all the wine, it would be a sign about what kind of marriage it was going to be and what kind of a husband he might be, that he wasn't going to take his responsibilities seriously and that maybe he wasn't going to be such a good husband after all. So Jesus actually did something very kind to him. But Jesus did the job of the bridegroom. Now, this starts to make sense of what Jesus says to his mum, doesn't it? What does he say to his mum? Why are you involving me? I'm, I'm not the bridegroom. And then he says, my hour has not yet come. What do you think that means? It sounds like he's saying, it's not my turn to get the wine, but it will be my turn in a little while. My out, there will be a time when I'm going to be the bridegroom supplying the wine. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it, of what Jesus does? Do you think? Does Jesus get married? No, okay, so now we're in another puzzle. Jesus doesn't actually marry another person. But John, when he sees Jesus turn water into wine and hears Jesus say, my hour has not yet come, he understands something about Jesus. Because a wedding is also a sign of God's love for his people. If you were at a Jewish wedding with Jesus in those days, you would actually celebrate God's love for his people. God was like a husband to a wife. It's in the Old Testament. Peter reminded us of this yesterday at Mel and Steve's wedding. And even at weddings today, we think the same thing, except we say something different, which I'll tell you in a minute. So, Jesus says to his mum, my hour has not yet come. And John understands something. And all the rest of the way through John's book, John keeps repeating this thing. Jesus' hour has not yet come. We're working through the book really slowly. If you're a good reader, and that's most people here, I suggest you read John's Gospel from start to finish, sometime maybe in the lead up to Easter, so you can see the patterns and the words that he uses again. He talks about signs. He talks about Jesus' hour coming. You know when you're in the car and you're on a long trip, it feels a bit like now. I can see you on the mat, wriggling. And it's a long, long trip. And what do you say? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And the person in the front says, no, we're not there yet. We've got a long way to go. Five minutes later, what do you say? Are we there yet? No, we've still got a long way to go. Are we there yet? No, are we there yet? No, are we there yet? No, are we there yet? No. And then... You might say, are we there yet? And the person in the front miraculously says, almost, we're almost there. Just one more turn of the corner and we'll be there. And this actually happens in John's story. And for 10 chapters, we have, are we there yet? Sign after sign, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And then in chapter 12, Jesus says, we're there. He says, my hour has come. It's time. And what do you think happens in that chapter? It's time for Jesus to become the bridegroom, but he's not going to marry a person. Jesus is arrested. And he's put on trial. Yeah, Eloise? Thank you. He's going to marry the church. And how is he going to do that? He's going to die on the cross. Jesus 
great moment of glory is when he dies on the cross. It's exciting to see Jesus turning water into wine, but it's just a sign of what's to come. Jesus is going to be the bridegroom. He's going to bring the good wine. And the good wine is his bloodshed for us on the cross. Now we're going to think a lot more about that story when we come to Easter. So I'm not going to spend too much time there. But I think that's important that we see that that is why John writes this sign in his book. So that we can look ahead and we can understand who Jesus is. That he is the bridegroom. That we can understand Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that an hour was coming. When he says the hour is here, he says, should I run away from this hour? No, I'm going to be here. This is what I came to do. It's going to be hard for Jesus. He came to die. That is a strange thought. You might want to think about that for a while. Yes. Now, what is this? We've heard this before, I think. But what does this have to say? How can we, how can we take this into our lives more deeply? Sometimes when I look at the cross, I think about God the Father's love for me. That God would send, John speaks at this, God would send his son into the world to die for me. But what Jesus is saying here is that he is the bridegroom. He chooses to do this too. Now yesterday at the wedding, Mel and Steve did the traditional thing, which I love by the way, because my favourite moment in the wedding comes when the groom is standing at the front and the bride comes in the back and he sees her for the first time. Everybody's eyes are on the bride because she looks beautiful. She's prepared herself all day for this, for this special day. Now, lots of people are looking at the bride, but some of us are looking at the groom. Because the moment when the groom sees the bride is probably the best time at the wedding. Because, well, if you can look long enough, usually you have to look away because the look on the groom's face is a look of, well, it's... For a while, they're looking nervous, but when the bride arrives, it's a look of love, isn't it? Yeah, when the groom sees his beautiful bride, it, it's there in his face. Jesus is the bridegroom of the church, Eloise told us. This is how Jesus thinks of us. And Jesus dies on the cross, it's because he loves us. And so this might be a helpful picture. The cross is not just God the Father's love, but God the Son's love, the bridegroom's love for us. God loves us, God the Son loves us with a passionate, all-encompassing, showing on the face kind of love. Now, maybe you're not so sure about marriage. I don't want to, someone said. Fair enough. Marriage can actually be very hard. And maybe you've looked at hard marriages. There is no earthly marriage ever in the history of the world that will compare that the love, the love God has for his people that the bridegroom has for the church. There is none. So how can we actually help and imagine this more? I went to a wedding this week, but I also went to a funeral. And the funeral was for a friend who had been married to her husband for 40 years. And her husband got up and he is a minister actually, and he said, today I'm going to speak as a man talking about a woman, not as a minister. And I'm going to tell you the story of how I fell in love with my wife. And he told the story of how they met, and how they got married, and how they had three children, and now they have, and so on and so on and so on. And in some ways it was a very unremarkable story. But the bit that really got to me was when he told the story of their 40th year. 
He said, we had a very hard year this year. His wife got sick and then she died. But when he talked about his wife in that hard year, she couldn't speak. She grew weaker and weaker. She couldn't do very much. It was obvious that he still loved her. And that is also the love of the bridegroom for the bride. And that is God's love for us. There's a lot more we can say about this and about this passage. But I wanted to encourage us today to think about this picture. When we come up for communion, we're going to drink wine and eat bread. We're going to remember Jesus' blood shed for us on the cross and his body broken for us. And when we do that, I want us to also think about the wedding. And we want to think about that God the Son, the bridegroom's love for us and the church. So we have signs that we use to remember this as well. But I also want to say, and I'm not going to, it's in the text, but I'm not going to go into it, that the love that Jesus brings and the way he brings us into this relationship with God is not like in the Old Testament. Jesus transforms the water into wine by God's Spirit. And when he dies on the cross and rises to new life, his Spirit lives in us now. We have the same Spirit that Jesus had to change the water into wine. God can also transform us. We are not like Israel before Jesus died. We are people who can experience and know the love and consolation of Jesus now. And if that's something that you find difficult, if you're struggling with your doubt or shame or pain, that's completely normal because we're still longing to see Jesus face to face, aren't we? There's an element where this has not quite yet happened for us. But I want us, I want you to encourage me to see the gaze of Jesus, the gaze of the bridegroom who loves us and knows us even in those darkest times. And you kids, you know what? John said when they saw and turned the water into wine, they believed in Jesus. They believed that he could do miracles. They believed that he was the one which God had sent to bring everybody to know God and to be loved by him forever. And so John is saying, will you believe that? And maybe you do straight away and maybe you need to see more of the signs. So depending on who you are, this is something different to say. But let's just spend a little bit of time reflecting and I encourage you to keep doing this as we come to communion. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, you sent your son Jesus into the world as one of us. And you love us and your son loves us so much that he would bring the great wine, that he would die on the cross for us and rise to new life so we could be in fellowship with you and one another forever. And we pray that you will make this strong and true in our hearts and for these little ones too, that they may grow and always know the love of Jesus. Amen. Amen.